We'll do it live. Do it live. I'll write it and we'll do it live. Hello, hello. Welcome to Open Live for some soccer. My name is Edward Telney. Joining me this evening, Pablo Mauer, Thomas Floyd. Guys, your favorite quarterly, bi-quarterly... Bar- barely quarterly at barely this Barely quarterly podcast. We have not done one of these since... Uh, since October, so was that was that after the playoffs? Or that would be that, pre-playoffs. That, that would be pre, we did a, a playoff preview, and then some stuff happened, and now we're back and it's May. So we're gonna start by breaking down DC's loss to Columbus in the Eastern Conference knockout rounds. You know what's sad? I think we've done this joke so many times where it's like. <laughs> Say we're going to talk about everything that's happened <laughs> since the last time we did the podcast. Right. We're still we're still doing it though. Yeah, guys. Uh, if you want to call in, obviously. Um, 703-LTOWFSS. I don't know what that is in numbers, but figure it out. <laughs> it's on it's it's on the tweet. Do we get any any voicemails? Uh, no voicemails. Couple text messages. We'll get to those later. Um, Man, we are blowing up. <laughs> Turns out when you just disappear for, you know, six months, is it? Well, uh, yeah, so we were, we were talking about this a little bit before, uh, earlier, why we did this this show, and apparently we've been still getting requests to do the show, and I, I have to admire everyone's diligence, because personally, I would have given up by now, but apparently people still held on hope that we would one day do another show, so here we are. I want to, you know what I want to do is I want to give a, a shout out to Holden Crib. We've never met him before. I don't know if he's ever called us before. Probably our only actual listener and fan, right? We have like... I see him here in the Wife for Some Soccer chat room and I just feel like the amount of time he's spent suffering listening to this podcast yeah, yeah. deserves some sort of small recognition. We have like a half dozen fans and he's certainly one of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do we talk about, guys? I mean, there is a lot to choose from, right? There's MLS. There's did we even DC make, we didn't make an outline, did we? We didn't do an outline. No. We we discussed this is an outline. Be really interesting. It's all it's all in our heads. I think we've got this. Um, all right. Well then, uh, who who wants to start? <laughs> Seth, would you like to lead us off? I, I don't really know what to say because I don't have an outline in front of me. Oh boy. Did we, uh, so we should go over MLS Cup then first, right? Or <laughs> See, you're still making we'll the We just lean back on this, the on same, this joke. The same bit. Why don't, we, why don't we start by talking about this weekend's DC United match? It's the easy one, right? right Everybody right. watched it, right? Yeah. I was sitting next to Thomas, so. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like we do have to acknowledge the amount of time we've been off the air by doing more of like a general big picture DC United look. But, okay, okay. But let's, let's Why don't we start, just cut right yeah, to Ted Uncle then? Let's start with Ted Uncle. Let's start with Ted Uncle. <laughs> we all want to talk about Ted Uncle. Yeah, yeah. Um, so here we are. Let's talk about Ted Uncle. Yeah, let's just let's, I'll give the a brief recap in case you didn't see. I'm sure everybody did. Um, about 20, what, 25 minutes, something 24 minutes into the first uh, half of DC United's encounter on Saturday with the Columbus crew. Um, Ted Uncle got tangled up with Luciano Costa and Will Trapp at the center circle. One of 
I want to say at least three or four separate incidents where he interrupted play. For sure. Where either colliding with a player or the ball. He really right. had a knack for I have that. no idea what he was doing yeah. in, literally in the center of the center circle either, but but whatever. Um, so Columbus sees that opportunity, grab the ball, promptly um, eviscerated a non-existent DC United defense and scored. Yeah. Uncle, who clearly had egg on his face, um, went to his earpiece after a little while, went to the uh, VAR monitor and overturned the goal for some reason. I I mean, I guess you know, after the game, he claimed that, uh, that there was contact there between Trap and Acosta, but I, I, I've watched the replay a trillion times, and I still don't see a foul. I see the slightest bit of contact maybe um, – Will Trapp's boot maybe sort of lightly grazes mm-hmm. Acosta's heel, but they're literally both on top of of uh, Uncle and 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 the term that has always been obvious, used as right? VAR is clear and obvious. Yeah. And there is no universe where you can justify calling this clear and obvious. Uh, whether you're the VAR who gave Uncle the green light to review this play, or your Uncle himself who took a look at that clip and decide yes that was a clear and obvious foul on will trap and this goal should come back yeah and i'm actually meant to rip the audio because a bunch of us talked obviously to caleb porter after the game and he he ethered ted uncle in a way that you just don't see you know it's a way that can only be done when the coach just fully accepts getting fined and just goes straight into it. Um, we call that a pet key around here. Yeah, yeah. I, I called it a Benny. I call it the Joker in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Joker in the middle routine. Yeah, if um, you want to go back a couple more years, yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, he wasn't. He didn't have uh, a comms assistant handing him printouts to, yeah, pet to give to people. Pecky's really raised the game by bringing props into the equation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's the Gallagher of the MLS <laughs> coaching. <laughs> win. Come on, Trey. Put the tarp on him. Get the watermelon. Get the watermelon, Trey. <laughs> Um, anyways, uh, yeah, to, to me, it was the only thing clear and obvious was that, that, uh, uncle obviously was a makeup call and it was, it was sort of disgrace. And then we can talk about this a little bit more separately after United's first goal, which uh, just a, you know, a, a cost knocked in and a loose ball or the box. He went to his earpiece for three minutes. I guess they were discussing whether he might have been off sides on the initial ball in or something mm-hmm. like that. But the bottom line is the two VAR calls, A, completely broke the flow of the game. B, uh, obviously took a bunch of time away in the first half. And then you only added on four minutes of stoppage yeah. time. And it's then, completely and inexplicable. Then d- during that four minutes, there was another PK, and, or there was a PK, a goal, and another VAR incident where he reviewed it. And I don't know how much time he added uh, for that, but it was not the appropriate amount. In reality, he should have added probably around 10 minutes of stoppage time. And it was like he yeah, had a very much bad less day. than that. I, 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 yeah. I'm just going to put this out there. I, I put a piece up on The Athletic. You can find it if, you're, uh, if you care about supporting good journalism and you pay $3 a month for my work. Anyways. Um, I like how you imagine that they're only there for your work. Why else would they be there? Yeah. For Pontenorio yeah. or something like that? <laughs> Give me a break. Um, yeah. No, it, uh, it, it's worth mentioning. I sort of pulled uh, five or six MLS players uh, via different means, email and phone this morning, to sort of gather the thoughts on Uncle. Because, you know, I, there are refs who are more respected than other refs. And I think the standout quote from that sort of uh, 
session was one player who said that uh, <laughs> no no MLS ref is respected by the players, but Uncle is quote especially hated. Pablo, we know <laughs> we know that you talked to Michael Bradley. You can just name, yeah, yeah, you exactly. can just name him. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, okay, so this was sort of an aberration though, right? It was a it was a weird situation where a referee goes back and tries to fix his own mistake, like essentially calling a foul on himself. Right. Um so I feel like we can acknowledge that this was a big mistake by Uncle. He should feel like he or he should get some sort of discipline from pro. Um, but maybe we should expand this a little bit into just kind of what we think about VAR in general and how how it's played out in the first couple of years of its implementation. Uh, it's 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 such a big talking point right now, and and I feel like for the most part it has been successful in the in the sense that it has fixed calls that were wrong it has righted some wrongs that otherwise wouldn't have been fixed but there are certainly some issues uh this one was was one of them but you know i was talking to you guys about this a little earlier i feel like my biggest beef right now with var is the way that handballs have been called uh, because I think that this is a call that, in the moment, a lot of referees will not call a handball, and it's sort of common sense because they see the way that the player's arm was extended or not extended. They see how they did or did not react to the ball coming towards them. Um, but when that VAR official says, hey, I think you need to look at this, and you go back and look at it in super slow-mo, I think... Nine times out of ten, they're going to call a handball, and you know, and usually it's in the box because these are the ones that are reviewed, and it's a game-changing penalty. And I feel like that—that's my biggest beef is it, there's a, there's a a lack of common sense there, where you're not litigating it the way that you should, and you're allowing the replay to kind of bog down the way that you would normally ref in the flow of a game. I mean, I'll, I'll, my my opinion on this is short, and it's that. Replay should only be used for car calls that are purely objective, right? Goal line situations, although even that, I, I'm more convinced they should just institute some sort of goal line tech um, and mistaken identity. I think even offsides is, you see it all the time, is subjective, right? And I just think, you know, VR in a lot of ways, it does get a lot of stuff right, Seth, but on the other hand, in a lot of cases, all it does is take a subjective ruling on the field and then literally have the ref make another subjective ruling in front of a TV. It just, you know, there's no there's no sort of black and white about it. That really bothers me. You know, I mean, it just... And we've seen them get it wrong. I mean, obviously, yeah, there have been a lot of good calls, but I, calls, but I, calls, but I swear, I swear to God, time, I just think, what? Like, why? How? You know, like... So I actually agree with almost everything that Caleb Porter said after this game, and I'm fixating on the part during his whole tirade where he said... I support VAR. I think it's a good thing. I just think, in this case, it was terribly executed. Uh, and yeah, Everything about it, the timing, the everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this – I look at this game, and I don't come to big, bigger conclusions about VAR. I support VAR. I think the model they have in place is – pretty much you know what it should be i am in favor of reviewing red cards and pks and that kind of thing but 
increasingly in MLS, it's just apparent that they're, they have officials who are not uh, capable of using the system properly. Uh, and I think we saw this when the World Cup happened this past summer, and it worked so smoothly for the most part. I think there was maybe an incident or two, but the World Cup uh, had VAR just implemented seamlessly in the way that we want to see it implemented. And then you get back to MLS and you go, oh, right, this is a good system that is being botched by you know, a handful of officials, not all of the MLS referees, but some who just don't know what to do with it and are, you know, Ted Uncle should not take three minutes on his earpiece to get information from his video assistant. That's not, you know, when they explain how the system works, that type of thing very specifically is not supposed to happen. You know that how, should be much faster. Do you know how much I would pay for the audio of that initial oh. call between Uncle and the booth? Yeah. <laughs> and the booth's like, not seeing anything, Ted. And Ted's just yeah. like, are you sure? Could you look at it again, Bob? And, and you. I'll say, uh, I want to say it was the Australian League had a game where the ref and the yeah. VAR were mic'd and all the audio was fed to the audience and it was fascinating yeah, and it gave course. you much more of an insight and much more appreciation for how the system worked. Oh, that was and, fascinating, yes. Yeah. So yeah. on Twitter, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I would love to see MLS do something like that. I'm well, the, sure the, the ref reason... was mic'd up the whole game, right? Right, yeah. You saw the way it, you interact with players, too, which mm -hmm. is fascinating. You know? And, uh, yeah, if it, I, I think the reason MLS wouldn't want to do that is because then it would shine a light on a situation like this where Uncle is clearly mismanaging the situation and yeah. don't want that out there. You know what's funny, man, is – and this would – I don't know if there's really a difference between doing this in MLS or doing it in USL or even – USL two or NPSL because it's all they all sort of fall under the the uh, the uh, umbrella of pro. But I think some of those lower division teams, just USL teams, for example, like the league or team should be aggressive about doing stuff like that, like mm -hmm. the you know the sort of like behind the scenes stuff or like embedding a mic on one of the players or the the refs because there's like it's just less at risk and I, I think it'd be a cool gimmick I don't know somebody please Las Vegas Lights and, I'm looking at you and, and MLS we need a llama mic just put the llama on the field with the microphone and see what happens llama cam I, I kind of like cam. that MLS does things like that during the all-star game and like interview uh, who was it Brad, Brad, Brad Guzan during the yeah. all-star game just had an active mic with the commentary team yeah. for most of the first half it was pretty great they did a yeah. ref cam a couple years ago yeah, during they, an all-star game and I was like why couldn't they have this during a regular game? Right. Obviously, you're not going to have an interview with the goalkeeper during a normal MLS game, but yeah. a ref cam seems like something that absolutely could happen, and it was very mm -hmm. fascinating just to see how they interact with players. And the, another aspect of this, uh, I want to see more transparency, particularly in the ways that uh, VAR already should have transparency. I'm talking about uh, there is a there is an official who incredibly is titled the AVAR, the Assistant Video Assistant Referee. Yeah. <laughs> and he is uh, he has various tasks as part of the VAR process, but one of them is that he takes the reason for the ruling and communicates it via a Slack channel to the press box, to the PA announcer, and to the broadcast team. And when VAR was introduced in MLS, the idea was that all three of those groups would get the exact rationale for a call in real time, and we would immediately know why these calls were being made. And that just isn't happening. With this Will Trap foul, we didn't find out why it was made, uh, why that call was made, until 
the pool reporter put in the question after the game and the referee gave a handwritten response. I don't understand Which is the same as every other handwritten response right. I've ever gotten where it's like I I don't understand why this system that has been designed to communicate these things more clearly isn't being used because you just end up with a stadium full of fans who don't understand why the call is made. You end up with reporters covering the game who don't know the, why the call is made. And you have a broadcast team who don't know what to say. Somebody here in the chat room on the thread um, is asking what my favorite That's So MLS moment of the year has been. And I'm just going to play it. Hmm. Oh, come on, work. I'm wondering what this is going to be. It's not from this past weekend, is it? I can't get it to work. All right, I'll figure it out later. It's fine. <laughs> moving on. So moving moving on from the <laughs> okay. uh, the disappointment of Pablo's failed that so MLS Shut moment. Up. Uh, I promised some big picture DC Sorry. United stuff. <laughs> We're it's been a few months since we've done a show. We're still figuring out the soundboard. Right. Um. So, you know, I think. Big picture, D.C. United season so far has been successful. Um, they're tied for first place in the East, even though the East is objectively terrible. Um, but I think if if I'm a D.C. United fan, my number one question about this team is the future of Luciano Acosta. And I feel like at this point, that question is not whether he stays or goes, but whether DC United sells him in the summer and tries to get some money for him or they decide that they're going to try to win a championship this year with him and if he leaves on a free at the end of the season, then so be it. At least we gave it our best shot and tried to win an MLS Cup. So I'm curious what you guys think is the most likely outcome and maybe what the most the best outcome would be for DC United in this situation. I mean, I'll tell you everything I know, and having reported on it the past couple of months, I can tell you that um, I think it's really up to Luciano Acosta. I know the club is prepared. I mean, today I think I reported this that you know they're they're prepared to pay three million dollars or more a year for four years for him. That's a a tremendous sum of money. Um, some might say too much. I'm not sure really what where I fall on that, you know. But I think to Lucho. Um, it's more about prestige. I can tell you that there's going to be there are going to be clubs in the Middle East that offer him more money than that. I don't think, uh, you know, I'll put it this way: if if PSG offers something, you know, salary wise similar to what he makes at DC United, he'll go. If a top tier team in Germany or England or somewhere else, Italy makes that offer, he'll go. If he's going to get similar money, it would take a lot more money than that for one of these Middle Eastern teams or Chinese teams to lure him away, because he's not actively unhappy here. You know, it's just it's just an issue of uh, of of how much money the the team wants to to spend. But I can tell you honestly, man, if the if the team is just going to match an offer from Europe, he's going to go. Should DC United expect to get any kind of decent offers in the summer? No, I mean, I've been told it's got to be an offer of multiple millions of dollars, and I just don't I don't see a team paying that for a player that at this point has what three months left at, before he can sign a pre-contract. Right. You know, what, like, what I would say to that, though, is that, A, you can guarantee that you get him. And, B... Um, you I can th- also pay him a lot more yeah. if you don't pay a transfer fee. If you wait and 
You know what I mean? If you if he just signs a pre contract or something like that in, in the summer and you don't pay DC anything and you get him Right. The other the other thing is you can get him at the beginning of your season because yeah. your, your European teams obviously have a different season, so yeah. Um but clearly there's no offer coming the likes of which DC United received a few months ago from PSG. I think I think the biggest thing here is, you know, I'm I'm sort of fully prepared for him to leave. Um I think the team and I hope they know this, they, they have to replace him with a, a player of similar ilk, right? Like, but, they, and, but how, though? I, I feel like they could go out and, and, and spend money on someone, and you know maybe they have a, a track record of being a great player, but I think there's a certain element that Lucho brings that no other player... This is why is, he, he has to be replaced with somebody special. It's like he's like a, a flair player, skilled player that does things. We talked about this, out. right? Yeah, like right. casuals, they like they like watching him. He does he, because he looks like a video game, or something right. like that. You know, right. like I also think he has been the first player United has had in recent memory that gives them any real link to their Hispanic audience. You know, like mm-hmm. these are intangibles, and they have to find a way to to replace that. I also would point out that when they were in RFK. And stinking up a joint half a time, they had a fan base that was just happy to get whatever they threw at them. That fan, the fan base has changed. They have heightened expectations. They, they pay twice as much for tickets. They, you know, they they read in papers that the club is profitable, whether that's true or not. You know, like mm-hmm. they, this is not the same sort of group of, you know, bottom feeders, whatever you want to say, as they had before. And I, I, I do think they know that. You know, but what you said is totally true. The Acostas don't grow on trees, right? I mean, for every Lucho Acosta or Valeri or Joseph Martinez or whoever, there's like you could rattle off 20, uh, 20 failures, especially South American like wingers and forwards, right? I mean, historically through the, through the through the league. So you're right; it's not just a thing of going out and buying somebody. I mean, they have to be pretty savvy about it. Do you think? Do you think that the PSG saga has has weighed on Lucho this year? Um, it's clear he's not, he's not quite at his best. Undoubtedly. Yeah. I mean, he's been talking to a sports psychologist, right? Like, he, I can tell you, I'll share this insight with you. I, he and I have always had a very good relationship professionally. It's, it's easy to get on with Spanish-speaking players in that locker room for me because not a ton of the press contingent speaks Spanish anymore. Um, I approached Lucho after the Montreal game, and he just refused to talk. And that's not something that he's ever done in whatever, three years, two and a half years, whatever it's been. So, of course, it's weighing on him, for sure. And you see it in games. He and Wayne are similar in this way. Like, the worse Lucho plays, the more he tries to find the ball, right? The harder he tries. He doesn't, like, drift out of games. And it's a self-destructive thing. You know, he, like, he'll try and find the ball and then try and take three dudes on and just get dispossessed relatively easily in midfield. Like, you know, it's, it is. It's a... Uh, I was just as a impartial observer relieved to see him score on Saturday night because I thought to myself, well, this might be like good for his mental state and the team in general. You know, that's that's what I got. <laughs> I also think that you know this is this is a situation where I feel like DC United's best case scenario that they're hoping for is that he agrees to a deal very soon in the coming weeks. And that even if they do sell him this summer or in the winter, then they're they're still getting something in return. 
the idea of him leaving on a free at the end of the season is pretty brutal. Worst case scenario for sure. Yeah, and it, it feels like there's a decent chance that's going to happen. You would know better than any of us, but if if that were to happen, that's a that's a rough situation. And I wonder if ownership would be like if they lose him on a free and they don't have that influx of cash, are they then moving to sign a worthy replacement with the same type of uh, vigor that they would, you know, with a transfer fee in hand. This is a this is a big storyline for the the team going forward. The only way that that would possibly be made a little easier is if they win MLS Cup. Right. So they can say and you could say it was at worth least it. We held on to him. Yeah, we lost him, but we got our ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. But then you're not going to have him for CCL. I mean, I know, I know we want to <laughs> probably <laughs> we want to probably broaden this out a little bit, but but just to put a pin on the DCU stuff, we should definitely talk about, I mean, the window is closing on Tuesday. They have been decimated, obviously, by injuries this year. I mean, they have guys playing out of position. Paul, Lucas have both played on the back line. Um, I'm curious what you think their needs are. I think to me it's uh, obviously the Pedroso signing helps tremendously, even though I, I can't say I really seen much out of him. I, I know he started about half of Dallas's games last year, but he hasn't played in a long time. He's a professional soccer player who plays <laughs> left back. Yeah. He's, he's Brazilian. <laughs> That's promising. Um, they have they have to sign a second forward, right? Yeah. That, to me, is the big one. I feel like the like outside back, you know, Pedroso's a nice signing, but, you know, McCam was back into 18 on, uh, on Saturday. Like, they were – they had a bizarre – series of injuries at that position but you could go back like a decade with this Uh, they just like their left back is always hurt yeah i mean taylor kemp had a full season or two uh (laughs) before he had his career ended by injuries yeah Uh, exactly (laughs) uh uh but i think they're you know when you look at the outside back situation they're fine you know, they have they now have several options who can play left back once you know everyone's healthy. Even going forward, they've got McCann and Pedroso for the next month or two until Mora is back. Uh, and at you know at right back, uh, you you know they you can drop Ariola back. Robinson can play there. I, I feel like they're fine. The big hole for me is a backup striker. When Rooney was out against Montreal, which is the only game he has missed in signing with DC United, which is remarkable, they had so little faith with the player they signed to be Rooney's backup, Quincy Ameriqua, that they started Ulysses Segura up top. <laughs> I think he had maybe three touches in that game. Uh, he looked completely uncomfortable, didn't really bring much to the table, isn't a player particularly well-known for his finishing to begin with. Uh, it just seemed like a, a complete you know, non-factor and the idea that Rooney is sidelined for any extended amount of time, you know, if he suffers an injury where, I don't know, just like a routine hamstring strain and he's out four or five games, the idea of them starting Ameriqua or Segura up top for a month is pretty devastating. They look completely lost without Rooney on the field. And at least last season, you could imagine Maddox stepping in there and carrying the load because he's proven he can do that. But they just don't have a backup striker right now who has uh, you know, proven ability to produce an MLS at any sort of consistent level. And I feel like when, you ha- when you're relying on a 33-year-old forward, 
uh, you need something like that. And I, I'll point out very quickly that Ulysses Segura, multiple games, has been the worst player on the field, bar none. Yeah, I think. I'm not trying to I, – I hate to say I'm not trying to call him out because that's what I'm doing essentially, but I just – I. I have, I have not been impressed with him in, in any of United's matches. I think the, the problem with this search for a backup forward is how much are you willing to spend and what caliber of player can you get? How mm-hmm. much better than a Quincy Ameriqua can you get knowing that when Rooney's healthy, he plays every minute? Right. I, I mean, I feel like last season it was a little bit of a misleading situation because Darren Maddox was in that role, and he got – very few minutes down the stretch. But also it was a situation where DC United was winning every game, that they were playing all of these games at home, they were red hot, and they were never playing from behind. So they still, never... Still, still would have been so easy to keep them in. Just give mm-hmm. them 10 minutes in some of those fucking games that they won by three goals. Well, you know I, I mean? think like... this, this, this speaks to uh, an issue with, with Ben that we've talked about, which is squad rotation. I think that uh, there just sometimes isn't as much as there should be, Darren Max got completely phased out. And as you said, you know, you could say it's justifiable. Um, but even though it's working right now, I still feel like playing Wayne Rooney every minute of every game might come back to bite them. Like, once they go up 3 nothing, he still isn't taken out of games. Man, you had a Toyota Camry that you drove the wheels off of, and then one day you came out front and somebody ripped the door off of it. Right? These things happen. Things go from reliable to inoperational very quickly. <laughs> okay, I was like wondering right. where the, uh, the metaphor. Okay, yeah, I got it. I got yeah, it now. Yeah. And Ben will just – Ben generally lets guys almost kind of manage his own minutes, and especially with Wayne. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. st- he's said in press conferences, the guy just doesn't want to come off the field, period. But I'm sorry, man. Part <laughs> Which of, player does? Yeah, exactly. Part <laughs> of being a coach is making those hard decisions. You know what I mean? Is I, I don't know. I, mean, I, just I, guess ref- I just refuse to believe that also that Rooney's going to be like fuming if he gets taken out of a game in the 75th minute when they're up by three goals. Right. Like, throw him a beer or something. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. And, that, and again, the, the other thing I want to focus on is the fact that it's not always about taking out Rooney. There were a couple situations last year. They didn't happen often because, like I said, they had this hot streak. But there was a game where they were trailing at home to Minnesota last year. Around the 60th minute, they pulled a central midfielder, dropped Rooney back, brought on Maddox up top. Maddox scored, uh, I want to say, the winning goal. The old Everton move. (laughs) Exactly. They need to have that in their arsenal. The, The... potential if they're trailing or even you know level and want to push for the three points to bring on a striker who can provide hold up play or stretch the field or some sort of new dynamic up top drop Rooney back so he can find the game easier and throw something different at the opponent they just don't have that option now so when we have seen them fall behind like in say that LAFC game or the NYCFC match they don't have uh, an effective option off the bench, and they're just left lost and, and don't really have a way to change the game uh, with a substitute. Thomas, uh, Chris Durkin versus uh, Russell Knauss, who you got? Oh. Or, or is it, as we discussed in the press box, maybe both? So if we're talking just how to play those minutes, I still Oh, think no, no, I'm talking about like in a, an uh, octagon-style oh, okay. cage match. Well, yeah. in that case, probably Knauss. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I still think Canals and Moreno is the best duo, but if you have a player like Durkin, 
get them in there, rotate them. I would say, you know, Canals, I still think, is one of the better D-mids in MLS. He had a little bit of a rough start to this season, but I think you, you keep giving him minutes. But maybe you, you know, have uh, do a game with Dirk and Canals, and then the game after that, maybe Dirk and Moreno, and then go back to Canals Moreno. This, this also speaks to Ben's coaching technique in that he, he always stays with a hot hand. But mm -hmm. I had a conversation with somebody a while back where I said, it's not that putting Durkin in the game instead of Canals makes you a worse team. You just win in a different way, right? You find right. other ways to win the game. And I don't know how fond any MLS coach is of doing that sometimes, you know? Well, in particular, you know, if they have a, a three games in eight days situation, then... I think you absolutely should go for that rotation. And we saw last year that was something he didn't really do. I think there was a, a stretch where they had three games in eight days. Uh, maybe they were all at Audi Field, I remember. And he went with Moreno Canals for all three of them and didn't start Dirk in any of those matches. Those are the situations where I think this season, if you have a similar schedule congestion, you, you get Durkin in there, and uh, there are many reasons to do that. He's an effective player. If you give him minutes, he'll continue to develop and maybe reach a point where he's one of the better D-mids in MLS. And then also there's a, there's a sale value there. If you give him minutes and you give him a platform, maybe you can sell him for a nice profit. Guys, Rudy's in the chat room. Uh, he, he has a question. you want me to read it? It just says, hashtag Olsen out, question mark. <laughs> Here we are in year, what is this, year like eight or something of this? Moving on. Still, still playing the hits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, should, we get, should we move on yeah, to like some... Yeah, yeah, I'm tired of talking about DC. Should we some general MLS stuff? Yeah. I don't have an outline, so let's just... Uh, let's, let's just, just wing it. Let's just wing it. What? Oh, right. Yeah. I don't have one of mine. Uh, Seth, oh. you, you say something. <laughs> Kenny Dogleash. Um. So he managed Liverpool fairly recently. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. So yeah, he managed your, Steven Gerrard. Ooh, that's yeah. it. There's your connection. <laughs> uh, Keep going. That's two. Steven Gerrard played under Bruce Arena. Who? <laughs> let's see. Where Still can I go with this? <laughs> who managed uh, Dax McCarty? Okay. Who played on the New York Rebels with former Rhino Johnny Steele? Yeah, impressive, undefeated. So, <laughs> as right. always. Um. Julia Roberts. Okay. <laughs> you uh, may know her from films such as Pretty Woman and Aaron Brockovich. I feel like the the go-to here would be an Ocean's movie. Okay. A lot of people in those. Julia Roberts. 30 seconds. Did you know Johnny Steele was in Ocean's 12? <laughs> oh, that would make this much easier. Yeah, uh, <laughs> don't think that's true. Mm, okay. Let me think. These are hard in real time. Especially when you throw me people who don't play soccer. I mean, they're, they're, all, they're, they're hard. all in real time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> These are hard when I can't Google them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, let's say... I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of stuck. Let me, let me go through this. 
does Richard Gere get you anywhere? I mean, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, what are what are other notable Julia Roberts movies? But Notting Hill does Hugh Grant get you anywhere? <laughs> does uh, um, I'm just not sure this is the most amazing podcasting material as I <laughs> silently think of things. <laughs> so sorry. Didn't you just say that he's undefeated? Undefeated. Unbelievable. I I'll, mean, I'll, I'll solve that later. You no. have. That's uh, <laughs> not the way this works. <laughs> I feel like you're. you're it's go-to. like Chris Wondolowski saying he'll make the Belgium goal later. It's <laughs> not the way or it like works. Or like I'll score my record tying MLS goal later. Hey, uh, here's a, a good question for the audience. Is Brad Friedel the worst coach in MLS? <laughs> well, Anthony Hudson's fired, so yes. Yeah. I don't think that makes him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's moved, moved up one in the yeah. power ranking. This is the first coach who's ever suggested that MLS players aren't under pressure because there are not people, quote, following them into their car after games. I mean, it's incredible. That's like the uh, Jurgen Klinsmann school of thinking, right there. Yeah, you know, you have to throw them in the cold water. They weren't know. even they weren't even bothered in the grocery store. Let so me let me tell you, MLS players, if you think they're not under um, under pressure, okay, maybe like ten so percent of these motherfuckers have guaranteed contracts. Right. There's no pro rel at MLS. There is professional promotion and relegation all the fucking time. Okay. You could you get on a plane for playing for a USL team or the Colorado Rapids. I will or also say mm. that 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 kind of works both ways in the sense that if this were the Premier League and it's more to lose, you had yeah. <laughs> a season and three months like Brad Friedel has had as manager, and then you go out and lose six to one. Yes. He would have been fired today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 an indictment if you're if you, if your suggestion is that like. MLS is a basic bitch shit league, and but then you you literally can't even win in that league. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, he should not have a job if yeah. the Crafts paid more attention. He would not have a job if the Revs were at any sort of a forefront of their thinking. Funniest funniest tweet I saw this past weekend. My award for like excellence in American soccer Twitter goes to somebody <laughs> screen grab of Friedel's halftime interview when it was one to one, and it just it was just him saying in his stupid accent. Sometimes goals come in bunches, and then the next picture was the five goals, the the box score, the box score, yeah, the yeah. five goals the the union scored. You really got it there. Okay, so Julia Roberts was in Ocean's Twelve. Okay. with Bruce Willis. Have you been? Did you look this up? I did not. You would have seen me. No, I wouldn't have. What? You're right here. <laughs> I did not look this up. All right. Julia Roberts was in Ocean's. Ocean's. If you want to. Uh, was in Ocean's 12 with Bruce Willis. Okay. Who was in Glass with James McAvoy. What? Who was in X-Men Days of Future Past with Patrick Stewart. That's Who four. was in Game of Our Lives with... You're up to five, man. With Freddie Adu, who was teammates <gasps> with Kenny Burtz. That's an sex Rochester Rhino. What? Kenny oh, Bur- wow, yeah. On DC United. Oh, my God, man. Exactly right. six. Yeah. Seth is motioning for me to give you the old. Uh, there it is. That was incredible, and you know that's a movies to soccer transition that 
I haven't heard. <laughs> usually, my most, usually my most recent, I brought my search, my history so you could check and make sure. And my <laughs> most recent search is just Ted Uncle. <laughs> and also the link to the petition on change.org to remove Ted Uncle from MLS. <laughs> I feel like your your, your, tra- your, your, your transition is usually Thierry Henry being in the Entourage movie. I've mm-hmm. heard that one a few times. Yeah, I, I, I found uh, one or two others. Because uh, David Beckham was in... Guy Ritchie's King Arthur movie. Well, I got you the, another... I got you the, um, the Olsen twins to Lexi Lawless right. connection. Mm, the yeah, problem is, is the one. Olsen twins aren't in much. I guess I could link them to their sister, Elizabeth That's Olsen. That's true. And even through, even she through is full... her sister? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, she's the most talented of them. Don't say that. Well, Have you ever seen... That's true. Have you ever I, seen I their can't work? name a... <laughs> Have you ever seen their work as there's the one where they go. To, there's one they go to like New York a bunch of times, right? Sure. I, I I swear to God, they one of the Olsen twins was in Weeds, which I guess really? that's the only thing I can I think mean, of. I there's a Full House connection, I'm sure. Stamos. Yeah, Bob Saget, who was in the Entourage. He was in the Office, or not well. Office Space, and Half Baked too, right? <laughs> yeah. Wasn't he? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. I haven't seen that I movie think he's in one like of the, 20 he's years. One of, yeah, yeah. He's the guy. Isn't he the he's guy, the guy like, who says, I sucked dick for weed? That's, right? oh, like, that's yeah. that movie? Yeah, that's uh, correct. Okay. Yeah. I remember No, that. he sucked dick for coke. He's like, yeah. weed's oh. not an addiction. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyways. Boo this man. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of New York, uh, the Red Bulls have been kind of disappointing this year. Kind of. Uh, Red Bulls in Atlanta, two of the, the two top teams in MLS this year, below the line in the putrid eastern conference guys here's 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 what happens what's going on here's what happens if you're new york red bulls you fill your roster of players like i don't know alex mule who just runs forever <laughs> but has no skill as a soccer player <laughs> then when you do the same fucking thing just press like an insane person for i don't know three years and teams sort of like finally figure you out you don't have and sell tyler Adams. maybe yeah. the roster or the managerial managerial skill to navigate your way out of that that's my very basic analysis who is more responsible here tyler adams or jesse marsh in terms <laughs> of tyler th- adams responsible I mean, in he, terms of their absence like what uh, is, even like yeah. he should have stayed or something <laughs> right no like whose absence is more the blame for the red bulls struggles uh, well the red bulls were awesome last year with both Marsh and Chris Armas. Mm-hmm. The through line there is Tyler Adams was there the whole time. Tyler Adams left, and now they are not good. So Tyler Adams, hashtag yeah. analysis. And I, I also think the Red Bulls, they've done such a good job over the last, what, five, six years now of, of just constantly reinventing themselves. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, trading. <laughs> I was You're dying while trying yeah, to talk. Exactly. Trading Sasha Kleschen, trading Dax McCarty, uh, just constantly turning over the roster and just keeping a system in place and keeping BWP and Luis Robles in place. And they've uh, continued to be effective. And I really thought that even with Tyler Adams moving on, that the system would continue to work or that they would sign the more effective replacement. And I'm a little surprised by how uh how rough it's been for them to start this season can we um this seems like a natural uh transition seth because uh the red bulls have entire sections of their stadium covered with tarps right now um let's talk about what's going on you mentioned sam stage uh i just learned today that it's stage 
Not, I've been saying Stetschkel for mm. probably seven years. Um, I thought it was Stetschkel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he went over all the all the different ways that people have massacred his last name with me today, um, and you know, I was I was pretty close. Um, but yeah, uh, let's talk about these like legacy franchises that just can't even seem to draw people anymore. You know, I was in the game uh, that mid game and midweek game in Columbus. Excuse me. Um, the DC Columbus game, talking to their front office about it, and there were, I want to say, ten thousand one hundred people there. Yeah, it, it's it's tough because for a long time we were led to believe that these teams needed their own stadiums. Uh, you know, this is a, this is something that was you know maybe more like ten years ago or so when a lot of teams were still playing in in football stadiums. But, but the problem is with some of these teams like Colorado or like Chicago or Dallas, uh, even Houston, which is a little more inexplicable, but these teams have gotten their stadiums um, and the interest is still not there. The attendance is still not there. So it's like when that happens, where do you go? Because that's sort of seen as that's sort of seen as like the magic bullet for a franchise. It's a huge investment. But when you do it, that should, in theory, make you a lot more relevant. And when that's not there, like, what do you, what do you do? Where do you go from there? Yeah, I mean, you get the you get your one chance, right? And I think, well, I, unless you're Chicago, maybe. You get multiple chances. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's an interesting answer to the question I just posed. Uh, you go back to the future. Apparently, uh, you know, they're talking about moving back to Soldier Field, and maybe I mean we've seen the interest level at. What do they call it now? Toyota Stadium? No. It is StubHub? No. no. It is Toyota it, Stadium. To, all right. Yeah. And Where's, where's, there, is there? Are you thinking of the uh, Galaxy Stadium? No, What's it Seat, called now? There is a SeatGeek Stadium there, right? I think Paul might be right. Oh, yeah, yeah. really? And I think it's Chicago's. I think you might be right. Oh, Jesus. Jesus Christ, the stadium Let's get so, the fuck out of here. The stadium, <laughs> the, the stadium is so relevant, we don't even know the name. You know, I, I, I'll say, uh, talking to, I had a long uh, conversation for the piece with Tim Bezbachenko, right? Who's the GM and president of the crew, and that's a team that's been—it's so, so irrelevant in Columbus that it's—it's it's funny. Like they went through all the save the crew stuff, and I had multiple fans telling me. I talked to fans before the game for the piece that people will come up to them and say, "Oh, how do you feel now that now that the team is gone?" Right? They like mm. don't even realize it's still there. Mm. And in my conversation with um, Bezbachenko, who's a very bright dude, who I'm convinced has um, sort of his eggs lined up at least when it comes to the path forward, they do repeatedly lean on the stadium. And in my, just like I said in my piece, man, they just have to look at New York, Houston, uh, any number of other places where. The stadium wasn't a magic bullet. I mean, I think you could even include D.C. in that, man. Like, um, the only place you can really talk about in the history of the league where where that sort of – where a new stadium worked in that manner was Sporting Kansas City. And that was part of, like, a comprehensive rebrand, right? And and, and they do basically everything right in their front office. Um, True. The other, the other aspect is – Okay, you could say that the the team needs to be better. They need to win. For sure. But how far does that go? I mean, I know this is sort of a cherry-picking example, but the Union have had a very good start to the season. They're tied for first place, and they had the lowest attendance in their history this weekend. Yeah. I mean, part of the issue here is where these stadiums are being built. Now, I know there's a big outlier here, which is Houston. 
that they built their stadium uh, pretty close to downtown Houston. It's right by their baseball stadium. It's right by public transportation. Uh, there's no reason why that team shouldn't be thriving in that market. But you look at Dallas, Colorado, Chicago, Philadelphia. It was this movement to build soccer-specific stadiums no matter what, even if that meant putting it way out in the suburbs. And now you have teams like Chicago who are saying – all right, to save this franchise, we need to break our lease and move back into an NFL stadium in the city because we're just dying out here uh, in Bridgeview. And it's it's a situation where I actually think a team like Chicago, like put them back in Soldier Field where they have some sort of access to that city's population and people can know they exist and actually see the team play. And even if it's a cavernous NFL stadium they don't fill, I think that's a lot better. Yeah, it, it makes sense, although I think that the examples that these teams are trying to follow are very hard to replicate in Seattle and Atlanta. Um, you can say that those teams have done incredibly well playing in NFL stadiums in downtown areas and also say that when a team like Chicago does that, that doesn't necessarily mean that anything close to that is going to happen and that in a case like Chicago it's definitely more of a Hail Mary type situation right as opposed to like yes like this is going to be the thing that reinvigorates our franchise I mean I definitely um I definitely think the league is obsessed with a shiny new thing you know what I mean I, I do think that as expansion fees have gone up it, it just nobody talks about these the, the revs are the worst man I can't even like Yes. That I can't even be bothered to they're actually the only team in the league that I actively don't want to watch. They're the Revs are actually the only team that still are in MLS one mode. Like they have the same problems that teams in MLS had like fifteen to twenty years ago. They're the only team in the league that needs that needs an actual logo change. <laughs> Their logo looks like something that would be on the front of a hypercolor T shirt. <laughs> or like I say Ocean Pacific Baja California 1994 or something like that. But or please like, keep the Revolutionary War cosplay guys. Well, I obviously. said on Twitter the other day, man, that like I'm g I generally sort of abhor people who talk about quote unquote PC culture, like it's a bad thing. But if they ever disarm those dudes, we'll know that it's gone too far. Uh, and it's right there in our Constitution, Pablo. Yeah, exactly. A well-regulated the, the revolution. <laughs> I, the, ironically, the revolution have the best armed fan base in MLS. There could easily be an armed insurrection at Gillette Field, and it's uh. never happening. You know, like. <laughs> the the those guys are the reason that the founders wrote the Second Amendment. Anyways, what were we talking about? <laughs> what are they called? The, the musket men. That's what they're called. Mm. They defend the fort. Mm. God, that's so, so terrible. Yeah, the rev the revs are like their own their own category of they're 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 the rare situation where they're in a giant football stadium that's way too big for them that's also in a horrible location yeah. I, I think the revs should do the revs are so incompetent they're gonna do like a very light rebrand and get to like mls 1.2 and the, re <laughs> the revolutionary war reenactors are going to be like war of 1812 reenactors <laughs> just very slowly creeping up you know uh, i don't know it's true though like they're they're a bad team with a unqualified coach playing on artificial turf 
in the with NFL football, with football lines with football lines in an NFL stadium that's in the, in the 40 minutes away yeah. from yeah. the nearest major I don't city. Think, I don't think people really appreciate how far Foxborough is yeah. from Boston. And it's still not as hard to get to as SeatGeek Stadium in Chicago. <laughs> it's still, I don't know if you, if you it's, it's so bad. To, yeah. yeah, it's so bad. Uh, I will say, if if it's a weekend, uh, the stadium that apparently is called SeatGeek Stadium is only like a 25-minute drive from downtown Chicago, but people don't. A lot of people don't drive in Chicago, yeah. and also if it's a weeknight, then that suddenly becomes like an hour-long drive from downtown Chicago. No one's going to a Wednesday night game in Bridgeview. Uh, I'll say in Foxborough. I mean, at least it's next to a Trader Joe's, so you can like do your shopping mm. before or after a game. There's also a movie theater there. I feel like the Revs don't yeah. play that up enough. Yeah. There's a Five Guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> even if you don't care about the soccer game. And, no, can, and nobody can, does, just so we're perfectly clear. <laughs> you can go to Trader Joe's and stock up on yeah. organic dried mangoes after mm -hmm. the game. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, quite a pitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have a little bit of time left. I think we should... Do a little bit of women's national team roster because they did just name the World Cup roster last week, and there were some interesting names on there. Uh, interesting names not on there. So briefly, Paulo just cut my mic. <laughs> Sorry. Briefly, um, okay. So a couple headliners I think, as far as making it, were Allie Krieger, Allie Long, Morgan Bryan. The headliners for me, not making it, Casey Short, uh, and McCall Zarboni. Mm -hmm. um, thoughts on those those names? So I have uh, an opinion that I think Jill Ellis fell victim a bit here to picking with her heart instead of her head. Uh, the players who she brought in on the fringes of the roster are a lot of uh, – like loyal servants to the U.S. program. Someone like Allie Long, who's never played in a World Cup, but has been called into almost every camp for the last four years, and this is realistically her last chance to go to a World Cup. The fact that you would bring her over someone like McCall Zerboni, who's more in form, over someone like Andy Sullivan, who's more promising, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, also... In terms of leaving Casey Short off the roster, I'm actually okay with bringing Allie Krieger, and that would appear to be the way that decision came down, that there was one final spot for an outside back, and she went with Krieger, who's the veteran, who was a starter at the last World Cup, who hasn't really been in the picture in the past, but she's been playing well in the NWSL, and they know what she's about. I actually think that bringing uh, Jessica McDonald up top is... It is just a superfluous addition to the forward group. Uh, they have enough players who can play striker. Alex Morgan's the starter. Carly Lloyd is the backup. Kristen Press can also play at striker. Crystal Dunn can play as a number nine, which seems odd because she's the starting left back, but that is what it is. Uh, and McDonald, I don't see a lot of necessity for her on the roster. And I would personally have brought Short and Krieger because right now, if Crystal Dunn is out, Who's your backup left back? It's probably Tierna Davidson. Maybe you move Kelly O'Hara over the left back if she's healthy and start Sonnet or Krieger at right back. But I think all of those options are 
less enviable than just throwing Casey Short over there where she's proven she can play at this level as a left back. So it you know, I, I have some some quibbles with the decision making, but also ultimately these are roster spots twenty one, twenty two, twenty three on the squad, and barring uh, a bunch of injuries it shouldn't really make a difference. So. I do I do think that Zerboni is a player that I could have seen featuring at the World Cup, even though she would have been obviously one of the last people on the team because she is really that number six type of player, mm-hmm. somebody who they could bring in late in the game if they had a slim lead to kind of reinforce the midfield. Um, I know Sam Muse is there who kind of does that as well, but she's a little bit more of a two-way player. Mm-hmm. Um, and even Ali Long and Morgan Bryan have played that role for the U.S., but they're attacking midfielders who are sort of cr- – Converted right. to deep lying midfielders. Right, which is why I was I was really surprised to see is there Boeing out there because I, I do think, yeah, like in that sort of situation, um Ellis would be more likely to bring in someone like Zerboni as opposed to someone like Long or Brian, where you don't you don't necessarily see an obvious role for them because what they do, they have Mewis there who does better than them mm-hmm. and she's already not starting. Right. So it's it did seem a little strange to me. I and I do think that outside back is a is a is a problem um, depth wise. Um, I think mm-hmm. Kelly O'Hara's health is a big question mark right now. Right. Right. Um, she had ankle surgery back in October, and she was out for a couple months. She came back and then she had a setback. She missed the friendlies in April against Belgium and Australia. She's just coming back for Utah right now. She's made two substitute appearances, mm-hmm. and now you're expecting her to just be good to go as you're starting right back. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that's why I think partially why Krieger's on the team. But I think you're right. I think that there there is a place for short given that their backups at outside back are center backs mm-hmm. in Sonnet and Davidson. And given that their starting left back is not a left back and in, in Dunn. Right. Um and Dunn is somebody who Ellis has used in other positions mm-hmm. because she's not a left back, as I just mentioned. And the reason that she plays left back is because Ellis play, likes her fullbacks to get high up into the attack. But I, I do think that that could, that could be an issue if O'Hara suffers uh, any, cor- any kind of an injury setback. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're, now you're left with, with a, a really thin back line and, you have someone like Short who can play left back and right back, and who's a great one-on-one defender. Right, um, and and just the fact that we can so easily, you know, a Kelly O'Hara setback away from there being a real problem at that position, we can so easily get to that scenario, makes it even more confusing to me that she would say, "Let's use a roster spot on a seventh forward," right? Who isn't particularly necessary. Yeah, and McDonald McDonald is obviously she's been great in NWSL. Um but I have never been particularly impressed by her for the national team. I mean, she does certain things well. I think she's decent uh in the hold up game. I think she um gives them the kind of energy that that, that Ellis likes in in pressing, but in front of goal, she's kind of struggled. I I mean, she scored a couple goals, but they they were sort of the uh 
more on the the lucky side, and then she's missed a, a couple of decent chances. And I just I, I, and I just think that everything that she does for the national team off the bench, Lloyd does better. And so yeah. I'm not sure where her where her role would be unless they're real desperate late in the game and they they need goals. My theory here is that Ellis is remembering the last World Cup when she brought a player like Amy Rodriguez, who was pretty much a non-factor the entire tournament. I I think she played maybe 15 minutes off the bench in one group stage game. And then she got the start in the World Cup quarterfinal against China and was actually very effective pressing uh, a China team that would you know, kind of pack it in, and, and she was just exactly what they needed in that one matchup, and then she didn't play again the rest of the tournament. Mm-hmm. And maybe Alice is just thinking McDonald has some sort of different skill set that could be useful in a situation like that, and over the course of a World Cup, you need a player who you can count on to just give you one start against a specific opponent in a specific situation. Uh, that That's... That's the best I can come up with, at least, in terms of figuring out why why she felt she needed to bring an extra player up top when she already has so many options. Yeah, and again, these are these are things that may not even come into play. I mean, top to bottom, they're still the best team in the tournament. They, they should be considered the favorites, even though um, they've had a few stumbles over the last few months. I think, especially defensively, there are, there are some questions. Um, but I, I still think they go into this tournament as, as the most likely team to, to win. And, you know, some of these back of the roster issues mm-hmm. probably won't come into, into play. Right. And, uh, as I've broken these down, I have remembered, you know, four years ago, they, you know, obviously went all the way and there were several players who played few, the no minutes, mm-hmm. uh, Whitney Engen didn't play a minute. Lori Kolopny played like 10 minutes the whole tournament. Heather O'Reilly played 10 minutes the whole tournament. So, you know, the odds are that this won't really be a factor, but it's it's interesting to discuss. For sure. Um, should that be uh, should that be it? Yeah. All right. Um, so we've reached the end of our hour-long journey together. I hope you guys enjoyed it because it might be a while before we do this again. Let's be real. See you in 2020. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening, guys.